During these days of tension and uncertainty, it is absolutely critical that people who are spiritually minded and who, who understand that God only fully expresses himself in an environment of unity, that we promote unity. And what is unity? Unity is simply oneness of purpose. When you bring God into the equation, it's oneness of purpose under God. Where God sets the guidelines, where God sets the rules, and where we come under his authority and follow his guidelines. It's a time to pray for unity. It's a time to pray that the, the differences that have been endowed with us by our creator, racial differences, cultural differences, gender differences, that those were intentionally given to us by God. We are to embrace those differences. But in embracing those differences, they are not designed to divide us. They're designed to expand the appreciation of Almighty God's ability to bring unity through diversity. So during this season, when the, the sensitivities are, are all over the place, may the people of God lead the way. May the Church of Jesus Christ lead the way in promoting unity, starting in God's house, overflowing to the culture so people can see what God's kingdom looks like when it operates on the biblical principle of oneness. May we lead the way. May we as the church lead the way. That is our theme, the theme of unity. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome and good morning. Basketball, the glories of heaven, question mark, and unmanned submersibles. Basketball, the glories of heaven, and unmanned submersibles. Now, I know that sounds like a list of categories from a game of Jeopardy. Those are my illustrations for the morning. Thank you for being here today. Uh, you know, there are people from our congregation all over the world today. Um, if you've seen Facebook, you know that Dinah Alger and uh, Debbie King are in Europe having a wonderful time. Uh, the Wenzels are in Asia today. Uh, we have people in Africa, Sam. And then we have people all over the United States from this congregation. Uh, of course, uh, Matt mentioned uh, Dennis. Uh, Dennis is at the beach with his uh, family, with his wife, his children, and his grandchildren. And uh, he's been looking forward to this trip. So uh, pray that Dennis uh, is uh, relaxed and returns uh, with energy. He is coming back tomorrow for a funeral. Uh, and then he'll return back uh, to the beach. But pray uh, for Dennis in that regard. And, uh, you know, also missing today is my uh, wife. She flew yesterday to Dallas, Texas. And as I was preaching this morning uh, in the first service, 
she was sitting under the preaching of Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, Blair uh, went to Dallas with some girlfriends. Uh, From left to right, that's Anita and Cheryl. Tony Evans. Of course, Blair and Lisa Hancock. And uh, Lisa's husband is a pastor. Uh, Anita is a secretary to a pastor. Sorry about that. I don't know how to get that back. Can you go back one for me? Um, Cheryl is the uh, wife of my dearest friend, uh, whose dad was my pastor, Carmen Hartsfield. Uh, But uh, they each, uh, they decided to take a girl's trip, and uh, they each got to pick uh, something they wanted to do uh, in Texas, and so they're going to spend a day uh, at uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines restaurant, and I don't know who they are, but uh, one of these ladies does, and they're excited about that. Blair's choice was, I'm going to go to Oak, Hill, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship and hear Tony Evans preach. So they arrived last night uh, about 10 o'clock Dallas time, and I had to get up very early uh, to drive about a half hour away. And that's the picture. This morning during the first service, I was actually checking my phone before I got up here, because she said she'd send a picture if she was able to get one. And I was hoping to get this on in the first service. It didn't happen. But uh, thanks to Manus, and uh, I just think that's an awesome picture. And uh, um, listen, Blair's going to return on Wednesday high as a kite. She's just going to be on cloud nine. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing all about his message. Uh, I'll be preaching it next week. (laughs) Uh, Listen, unfortunately for you, you do not get Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, except in a, uh, a brief uh, video, uh, you do, however, get me. And uh, my name, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Stephen Salvis. I am one of the elders here. Uh, it is my privilege to stand and open God's word and preach from uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 today. We'll begin in verse 6 and we'll go through the end of the chapter. If you're using the Bible that's in front of you, uh, under the chair in front of you, it's on page 953. 953. Uh, And my prayer this morning is that God will bless you with a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in your life today. He will speak to you and challenge you from his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm beginning in verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For... Who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray together, please. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. Thank you for these inspired words, these God-breathed words that we can read and which the Holy Spirit can use to give us understanding and wisdom, the wisdom of God, to grow us into maturity in Christ. Speak to our hearts this morning, please. Oh, God, speak to us. Give us understanding. And may we leave this building ready to do the work of the ministry in our own communities, please, Lord. Thank you for those who have set the stage this morning. Thank you for the music, for those who served at the doors greeting people as they came in. Thank you. I do think of our pastor, Dennis. Message you bless him and his family. Thank you so much for bringing our young people safely home from Momentum. I know they'll be arriving here shortly. Thank you for a safe flight. Bless others who are traveling today. And now bless us, and this time together in Jesus' name, amen. The title of this series has been The Christ-Centered Church, The Christ-Centered Church. In verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul 
pleads for unity in the church at Corinth. And specifically, he wants the church's focus to be centered on Jesus Christ. This is the message I've been preaching for uh, three Sundays prior to last week. And for uh, the next four Sundays starting today, uh, we'll be continuing uh, this series on the Christ-centered church. As a church, we are called to unity, putting aside secondary issues and opinions for the sake of Jesus Christ and the spreading of the gospel to the world. Two weeks ago, we spoke about the first cause of uh, divisions in the church. And uh, the first one we mentioned was self-centeredness. In chapter 1, starting in verse 18 and going through 31, uh, there is a a wonderful challenge uh, regarding the gospel, regarding the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins. Intelligent people don't get this. People who boast in themselves don't get this. But we, through God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, have received the gift of the gospel, knowing that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Self-centeredness breeds disunity. That portion of Scripture continued and talked about those who boast must boast in the Lord and not in themselves. In a culture that says it's all about me, what about me? I want my rights. We're not thinking about the things of others, the needs of others, thinking about just me. In that kind of culture, unity is difficult to come by. Self-centeredness breeds disunity and division. But ultimately, self-centeredness is also the cause of an other-centered church. You get that? you understand what I mean by that? Self-centeredness is the cause of a church that is not centered on Jesus Christ. When I'm only concerned about myself and what I want, I'm certainly not concerned about what Jesus wants for me or what he wants for the church. I'm only concerned about what I want. Self-centeredness breeds disunity. And in the same way, the stifling or the quenching of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church is a cause for division. It's the cause of an other-centered church, not a Christ-centered church, but focusing on other things. This portion of Scripture that we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, from verses 6 to the end of the chapter, is tucked between a passage that talks about this self-centeredness we just mentioned, and then a passage in chapter 3 that talks about 
fleshly-minded Christians or carnal Christians. And I find that interesting because it's almost parenthetical being stuck between self-centeredness and carnal. There's this message from Paul that says, Hear me, Corinthian Christian. Let me tell you about something you're missing out on. Don't miss out on this. And then he hits them with verse 6 and verse 7. And that's where we begin. It begins, we speak wisdom. Or in the ESV it says, we impart wisdom. Both verse 6 and verse 7. We speak, we impart wisdom. We is referring to Paul and Apollos and Peter. Those men who the church was dividing themselves up over. You remember? Some follow Paul. Some follow Apollos. Others follow Peter. They were dividing themselves up over these men. Paul says, we, Apollos, Peter, and I, we're on the same team. We're not dividing ourselves. And we speak, share, impart wisdom to a certain group of believers. We'll talk about them in a moment. We speak wisdom. Look back at chapter 1 for me. What is the wisdom Paul is speaking of here? What's the wisdom Paul is speaking of here? Look at verse 17. There's a mention of a wisdom of words. A wisdom of words, which is eloquence alone. Eloquence without the work of the Spirit makes people like you. But it doesn't change lives. That's not what Paul is talking about. Look at verse 19. Paul references a wisdom of the wise, which will be destroyed. God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Verse 20 talks about a wisdom of the world, a wisdom of this world, which is foolishness. Paul writes, verse 22, there's a wisdom being sought by the Greeks, which leads to nothing, Paul says. And then in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, talks about a wisdom of men which is the opposite of the demonstration and the power of God. None of this is the wisdom which Paul is speaking of here in verse 6 of chapter, speak, of chapter 2. We speak not the wisdom of this world, nor the wisdom 
of the princes of this world who were opposed to God and who crucified Jesus Christ. Instead, look at verse 7. The Bible says, but we speak, we impart the wisdom of God. We impart the wisdom of God. So, travel back with me again to chapter 1. Look at verse 24. What is the wisdom of God? Let's start in 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Jesus Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Look at verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus Christ is made our wisdom. He is the wisdom of God, which leads to our righteousness, that is immediate. It leads to our sanctification, that is progressive in this life. And it leads to our redemption in the future when we get to heaven. Paul's already identified Jesus as the wisdom of God. But the wisdom Paul is speaking of here in verses 6 and 7 goes deeper than that. Paul says there's a hidden wisdom. It's a mystery, he says. A secret wisdom ordained by God before time began that is taught or revealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's in verse 8. And verse 6 says, the receivers of this message of hidden wisdom are the perfect or the mature in their Christian faith and practice. These truths are for the mature among you. So only the mature can understand and appreciate these deep things of God, verse 10 in the King James and NIV. These deep things of God or the depths of God as uh, it's translated in, in, in the ESV. When Paul says we speak the wisdom of God, that's a softer sell than we preach. Because he's sharing this th- these things with believers who are growing in faith. It's a more intimate setting, perhaps even a, a discipleship setting, where people are growing and learning and wrestling with Scripture and growing in their faith. I used to play basketball. I, it's been years. If I, I have a hoop at the house and I'll play rarely anymore. Uh, but every now and then I'll get up uh, out there. I started playing probably when I was five or six. Uh, my dad built us a uh, uh, basketball hoop in the backyard. And when you're a child in basketball, 
The goal is simply to push the ball as high as you can, hoping it gets over this rim and into the net. That's the sole goal. Now, I had the privilege of playing basketball in college at a, at a low level, probably Division three equivalent uh, in Bible college. Uh, and I was a commuter uh, at Washington Bible College, so uh, for lunch, after, you know, between classes, sometime between 11 and 1, uh, I'd go, back, uh, go out to my car and I'd just have lunch there with a friend. And uh, I remember... Uh, of course, we'd always pray and thank the Lord for our food before we ate, and then we'd talk about a million things, school, you know, school, classes, this and that. We were in the same, at the same level, sophomores at the time. And I remember praying uh, for the food, of course, and then, then I prayed. We had a game that night. We had, we, were, we had a game that night, and I remember saying, Lord, just help us to play well. Help us, help us to play like we've never played before, just, and my friend in the car starts laughing. Okay, now I'm praying, and he's laughing, so I'm offended at this. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you laughing about? He said, I just had this image in my mind of the team going out to play like they'd never played before. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think of that when I was praying. Thankfully, the Lord didn't answer the, my prayer like that. <clears throat> but basketball, there is a progression in basketball. When you're starting to learn, all you're trying to learn is how to get this ball into a hoop. But then you move on into intramural basketball, and you receive some coaching from uh, someone's dad, usually, but who knows basketball, and you start to learn the game, and there's more to basketball than just getting this hoop, this ball into a hoop, so things get revealed to you, and you have to apply these things in order to get better, and then you start playing school ball, junior varsity, and then varsity, and then if, if you're blessed to do so, you even play in college and even beyond. Now, my beyond was church league, but anyway, um, there's a progression in basketball and in any sport. This, this can apply in any sport. I'm using basketball because it's personal to me. You have to grow as a basketball player. And as you play and as you learn and as you glean information from coaches and apply this information, you start to be able to, on the court, to recognize defenses and how to beat them. Uh, and through practice, you learn how to pass and, and know when your teammate's going to cut to the basket. You learn how to identify a zone defense over man-to-man -man and what kind of zone it is and where the holes are. And you have to adjust, and good coaches can do that. Good coaches can breed good players who can then do that on the court and become coaches on the court. It's the same in the Christian life. When we become Christians, when we pray that sinner's prayer, believing it and confessing sin 
and asking the Lord to save me. It doesn't end there. But there's a progression that takes a work of the Holy Spirit and it takes life situations where you're going to fail. Look, when you learn on a basketball court, you're going to lose. You're going to make some bad passes. You're going to commit turnovers. But as you learn, you're going to start creating turnovers. You're going to learn that it's not just about scoring. It's about playing defense. As a Christian, it's about growing in the Christian life. It's about maturing. I don't want to be this guy who plays like he never played before on a basketball court. I want to be the guy who's matured to this point where he can play well. That's how I want my Christian life to be. Do you understand that? I want my Christian life to grow from this point where I'm a newly saved believer in Christ to this point of maturity in Christ. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit in you. It takes responsibility on your part. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit. These deeper truths. The Bible says in verse 7, they're revealed to us unto our glory, both now and hereafter. This is what we can boast in. Remember how we ended chapter 1 two weeks ago? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is what we boast in because it's something he gives us to boast in. The Lord of glory, that is. Look down at verse 8, please. Verse 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew. That's the, the hidden wisdom he references, Paul references in verse 7. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For they, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. These, these princes of this world are the wise. And I put that in quotation marks. The wise. The people who are haughty in their intelligence. And count on their worldly wisdom. Believing that over the truth of the Bible. And God's revelation. The princes of the world are the mighty. Those who count on their strength, their physical strength. And boast in that physical strength. It's the noble. Those who boast in their position, their status, and their wealth. And not in Christ. The princes of this world, they did not know the wisdom of God. These deeper truths... Because of that, they couldn't recognize the Messiah, and ultimately they crucified him on a cross. In verse 9, look at this closely. Verse 9, but as it is written, Paul quotes a verse from the Old Testament. It's Isaiah 64, 4. Isaiah 64, verse 4, here in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, 
Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, under the, Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes these words, changing just a little bit the words from the Old Testament. In Isaiah 64, 4, the Bible says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear. Neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. I want to concentrate on that last part of the verse. That last part of the verse. What he, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, what he, that is God, has prepared, literally, will do. What he, God, will do, future, for him, that is the man who waits for Jesus. Because Jesus had not yet come. They were still waiting on the Messiah. So they must be waiting fervently with expectancy for the Messiah to come. God will do great things, wonderful things, things you can't even imagine for the one who waits for the Messiah. Paul ends it differently. He says, which God hath prepared for them that love him, Jesus. Love him. Because the Messiah has already come. And there's your revelation. Isaiah's writing with the future in mind, but Paul is saying the time is now, Corinthian Christian. The application of this verse is now. You can apply this verse to future things. You can apply these words. Listen to these words again. Eye is not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him, we can easily apply this to the glories of heaven and say that's what he's talking about. And I'm not going to argue with you because there's truth in that. You can't imagine. I know when I step into heaven, I'm going to be blown away by what I see. I know that. But the context of this passage doesn't support that. God has revealed these deep things of God. Surely what awaits us in heaven is going to be overwhelming and more than we could ever imagine. But God has revealed these deep things. He's referring not to the glories of heaven, but these deep things, these Hidden mysteries, these things that were never revealed before, they're revealed today. And you can know them today. You can live them today. We're not just talking about heaven. We're talking about the deep things of God right now in the here and now. But God has revealed these deep things to us by his Holy Spirit. This is written in language that presents a strong contrast to uh, the princes of this world who did not know Christ or the wisdom 
of God. What God has prepared for you now is more than anyone could have seen or heard or understood when Isaiah wrote these words 2,700 years ago. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers who have a hunger and a thirst to know Jesus Christ that makes the mature Christian. These hidden things are known to the mature. Maturity is the goal. Maturity is the goal. I don't want to stay that five-year-old kid throwing up a ball and hoping it goes in. I want to be mature. Mature in my faith. The key is this. The natural man will never know this on his own. God's truth cannot be discovered by the eye or the ear or even the mind. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer that reveals these things. Please let me pause. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not referring to existentialism here. I'm not referring to mysticism. I'm not referring to doing something with the fingers and closing the eyes and mumbling for a little bit and suddenly the hidden secrets of life uh, are, uh, just blow me away. And I wake up and I know it all. That's not what we're talking about here. Look at verse 10. Be patient. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Look at verse 10. Second half of verse 10 starts this way. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, do you hear this? But the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Meet Kaiko. This is an unmanned submersible that actually explored the deepest part of the earth, 35,797 feet down in the western Pacific Ocean, nearly seven miles down below the surface. It filmed the ocean floor, it collected specimens, uh, and yet, get this, scientists estimate that we have explored between only 5 and 10% of the Earth's oceans. Most of what I know about the oceans, I know from the surface. You hear me? I know there are dolphins in the ocean because I see them from the surface. I know there are fish in the ocean because I fish from the surface. I know the crashing of a wave because I hear it from the surface. Anything else I know about the ocean, I know because I've seen a TV program by Jacques Cousteau or some other ocean explorer. Or I've seen or read about unmanned submersibles like this one. But I've seen those programs. I've read those articles from land. I've never ventured into the ocean to see this for myself. And yet, ocean experts have explored, who know much more than I do about this, 
because they've actually sent these submersibles into the ocean. Ocean experts have explored the depths of the ocean and still have 90% or more to go to know it all. These are the experts. 90% or more to go to learn all there is to know in their area of expertise. But the Spirit of God has explored all of the vastness, vastness of God, all of the mind of God, and that same Spirit lives inside of you. You have this Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that helps you understand these deep things of God. That's called illumination. That's called reading this book meditating on this book, praying over this book, and have the Holy Spirit do a work in your life that gives understanding and a deeper wisdom, a deeper knowledge of God, this God who saved you. Don't stay here as the newborn babe in Christ, but keep moving forward. That's the Holy Spirit's work in your life through illumination of the Scriptures. There's a, we do not have time to, uh, there's a difficult uh, phrase at the end of uh, verse 13. There's a difficult phrase to really uh, interpret. Uh, the King James simply says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, I think the NIV says, uh, combining spiritual truths with spiritual words. I do like how the ESV uh, translated translates this, which is pretty much something like expositing spiritual truths to spiritual men. I do like that because it's a contrast to verse 14 where the natural man cannot receive these things from the Spirit of God. The unsaved man cannot receive these things, but they're spiritually discerned. Let me simply paraphrase verse 15. This is a Steve Salvas paraphrase. This one's for free. But he that is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is understood of no man. Those who do not have the required relationship with the Holy Spirit are unable to understand the spiritual man. And that explains why Christians are such an enigma to the world. Why do you talk differently? Why don't you swear? Why don't you do this or that? Why don't you join us in this place? There are certain things we don't do. Certain ways we don't live. Why are you so nice? That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's certainly not me. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in me. Why are you happily married? Well, let me tell you, that's an enigma to the world. And yet it's God's grace and it's an opening. It's 12.15. I'm going to skip right to the end. The very last line of the passage. But we have the mind of Christ. We. Listen. We have the mind of Christ. Paul's not speaking here now of himself. And Apollos and Peter. He is speaking of each individual believer. He is speaking of you. Doug, and Justin, and Billy, and Kevin, and Tom, 
He's speaking of every one of you who knows Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You have the mind of Christ. We have it. If the Holy Spirit resides in you, and that same Holy Spirit has searched the deep things of God, and Jesus Christ is God the Son, then you, Christian, have the mind of Christ. So let me end with these questions. How are you feeding the mind of Christ? How are you feeding the mind of Christ? Or maybe I should ask it this way. How is the mind of Christ feeding you? How are you developing the mind of Christ in you? Or let me ask it this way. How is the mind of Christ developing you. See, it's not what you do, but it's what the Holy Spirit does in and through you. But you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. The mind of Christ can only work with what you put in. The mind of Christ reveals the wisdom of God to you through his word, the Bible. The wisdom of God starts with Jesus Christ And it's all of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end at the cross. There's so much more. And it's been revealed. Get into this book. Learn this book. We want to keep progressing in this Christian life. As we do, there'll be illumination. There'll be understanding of the scriptures. And then you'll grow. And we get to that point of maturity. That's the goal. I'm way behind. I don't know where I am now. Maturity is the goal. When the Holy Spirit is at work in the church, maturity happens. When people are growing in Christ and maturing in their faith, maturity happens. Here's a quote from Tony Evans. Unity does not mean uniformity. It means oneness of purpose. And I'll leave you with that thought. Please. Please, get into this book. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit residing in you that will help you to understand this book and these deeper truths. They are revealed today. There was a time when Isaiah wrote these words. They couldn't understand what was coming. But you have it available to you today. Take advantage of it. Meditate. You will be blessed by it. Let's pray, please, and then I'll have Eric come. Oh, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. God, may these things... Pour through our hearts and our minds. May the Holy Spirit do a work. Please, Lord, grow us, each of us to maturity. Grow us to maturity in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a need, please be happy to see you either during the song or after the service. Thank you.